0: many of you know, this is Fried Hardeman's lectureship week, and I have been attending every year for the last 45 years, and last year it did not snow. This year it's supposed to be in the 60s every day, and I assume that unless the Lord decides to bring about some supernatural event, it's not going to snow this year, at least in Henderson, Tennessee, but... uh, for those of you who are going to go with us, I hope that you look forward to it on Tuesday. We're going to have a great time. I know you'll hear some great lessons and be benefited by it. I made my mind up tonight that if anybody came to me before services and said, can you cut it a little bit short because of the ball game? I was going to say, for everyone who asked me, I'm going to have five minutes to the lesson. <laughs> Somebody must have got word because nobody said a word to me about it tonight. But uh, it's good to have you here, especially those who are visiting with us. We're always glad to have visitors with us. It's always a privilege to be able to have people who are interested in God's Word and to study together. For those of you who are visiting, on the first Sunday night of the month, I generally try to take some questions that have been submitted and to answer them. And tonight we're going to look at a couple of them. But I want to point out that the questions that are asked fall into really three different categories. The first are those that are textual, where someone says, here's a passage of Scripture. I don't really know what it means. Will you address this question? Then there are those that are doctrinal. Maybe someone says, you know, is baptism for the remission of sins, or is someone baptized because they're already a Christian? That's a, a good question to ask and has been asked. And then there are questions that are practical, that relate to our taking something that God has said, and how do we apply that in a real world situation? And tonight, the questions that have been asked are both doctrinal and practical. That is, they cover two different areas of our study. The first question that we're going to consider tonight was asked actually several months ago But I had other questions that related to things that were, uh, I guess you'd say, more pressing. And uh, people asking me, will you push this up? And so I said, yes. But tonight, I think they're going to be related. And the question that was given to me is as follows. Would you address the work of elders and deacons, not their qualifications? And I'm assuming that the question was asked because i preached a number of times on the qualifications that are given for elders and for deacons. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 talks about the qualification for elders. Verses 8 and following, the qualification for deacons. Titus chapter 1, Paul also addresses that same area of qualifications. But if you ask the question, not just what are they qualified for, Well, what does the Bible say that they are to do? Well, there's several passages, in my opinion, that address that. And the first one is found in Acts chapter 20. And if you want to turn in your Bibles, I'm going to put it on the screen. But we're going to look at just a portion of that passage, particularly verses 28 through 30. And Paul tells those elders who are from Ephesus... Take heed, therefore, or therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. For I know this, that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you at not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Now, if you take that passage, you see Paul placing upon those men some obligations, part of their work. Take heed to yourselves. The very first work that an elder has is on himself is to make sure that he is doing what God has instructed for him to do as a Christian. That means that you have to make your life moral. You have to study your Bible. The kind of obligation that would be placed upon any Christian is first of all placed upon an elder. And we would recognize that most of us would not want to follow someone unless they're leading us in their own lives. Don't have this... Do as I say, not as I do, but the emphasis upon, first of all, taking heed to themselves. And then he says to all the flock. To take heed means to pay attention to. The elders' work is to watch and see what is happening in and among the flock. And that involves several different things. He says, I know that after my departure, grievous wolves shall enter in among the flock. As an elder oversees, along with his fellow elders, a local congregation, he has to be aware that there are people who hold views that are not in harmony with God's word. He has to also recognize that there are people who are motivated by selfish ambition. He speaks specifically of those who want to draw away disciples after themselves. And he says you've got to take heed to the flock among which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. And that's where he starts talking about overseeing a congregation. Now, it is their job to shepherd or to feed the flock. Brother Larry read just a few moments ago. We're going to look at 1 Peter 5. But the word that the King James translates to feed, the New King James translates to shepherd, which is the idea of both watching over and providing sustenance or food. So both of those ideas are found there. A shepherd must lead his flock by still waters, as the 23rd Psalm would suggest to go to green pastures where the flock has an ability to eat and be sustained. And so as you think about the obligations or the work, if you will, that Paul provided for those elders from Ephesus, it involved looking at themselves, watching over the congregation, and making sure that they are shepherded or fed. When I hear that, I have to also put with that, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Notice carefully, he says, They watch out for your souls. The overseeing that the elders do in the local congregation is for our souls so that we get to go to heaven. They watch and make sure that we're not doing things that jeopardize our souls. What he says is those who must give an account. You know, I'd hate to think that I had to be responsible for every one of you. But do you know that's really the job the elders have? is being responsible for you and being responsible to to guide you and to shepherd you. If y'all don't think that's something that will keep you up at night, then you just not understood the responsibility that's been placed upon them. How grievous sometimes that can be when people choose to do things that jeopardize their souls as those who must give account. Now let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. And let's look at verses 1 through 4. Brother Larry just read that for us just a few moments ago. And Peter says, The elders who are among you, I exhort, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. Again, this same idea of feeding Or shepherding the flock. But here he says. Among you. We would say. Looking in the third person. Among them. The elders are to look at the flock. Where they are. And that's going to come into play. With regards to our second question tonight. They are to serve as overseers. That's much like a superintendent. Would know everything that's going on. Within that. Responsible body that they have to see there. But then he adds something there. He says, not as lords. The word lord means a master. Serving as an elder, part of their oversight is a willing oversight. In fact, he talks about that not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, you know, not being pressured to do the job. But because you want to do the job, you put yourself in a position of making sure that you're not forcing people to do something, but you're leading them. And that's something that is so much different from the board mentality that exists in our country today. So many people have this idea that you've got a board up here that's just simply trying to make decisions here, 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 and here. But here you're talking about shepherding, where people are following. I remember the first time I went to Israel, the the dramatic sight on a hillside not far from Bashan, And there was a shepherd who was walking across a hillside and behind him, not in front of him, not being driven, but behind him was a single file line of sheep. He was leading the sheep. Follow me. I'm going the right direction. That's what God intended as a part of the work of elders. Well, let's go to a more challenging text. Let's go to Titus chapter 1, and verses 9 through 11. This is a part of Paul's qualifications, but he's going to explain one of the qualifications by saying, This is what I expect you to do with that qualification. And he says, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. Now, as you look at this passage, one of the very first things he's talking about, a man who's able to hold this sound teaching, this sound doctrine, Part of this is, if I back up to Acts 26, verse 28, taking heed to yourself, an elder has to be a, a man who constantly studies God's Word, who's constantly growing and learning and understanding more of what God wants so that he may be able to take that sound doctrine and do two things with it. He may be able to exhort and to convict To exhort is to encourage, to uplift, to build up. There are some members of the church in a local congregation that are struggling. They may be struggling with their spiritual lives and what they need is not somebody to come and bear down on them heavily. They need somebody to give them an encouraging, uplifting word. Exhort. But then you have to face those who contradict to convict those who contradict. Those people who are teaching things they ought not. In fact, he goes further to say you have to stop the mouths of those who subvert the flock. In fact, he says there are many insubordinate, those people who are undermining the work of the church. I'm going to tell you, it's not too difficult to encourage people who need an encouraging word. There's no problem taking a young person and patting them on the back and saying, I know y'all may not have scored the score you wanted to do at Bible Bowl today, but we believe in you. You're young, you're growing, you're learning. We believe in you. Well, what happens when you're faced with someone who is teaching something that's false and they're doing it publicly or they're undermining the truth of the gospel, you've got to stop their mouths. I never will forget, it's been many, many years ago, we had a man come for a meeting to speak. Right before he came, he said some really dumb things. The elders met right before the man got here and they said, if he says anything out of the way, we expect you to go to the pulpit. And said, if we see you go to the pulpit, we're all going to follow you there. And we want him to sit down and be quiet. I'm going to tell you, I was not happy that whole gospel meeting. Because I was having to pay attention really carefully. You know how it is, you let your mind wander, the preachers up there preaching and can't do that when you've got to worry about what somebody's going to say. It was not pleasant. It was not good. And Larry's daddy said, that won't ever happen again while I'm here. He said, as long as I'm an elder, if i got a doubt about a man staying in that pulpit, he won't get in there. And I'm going to tell you, that's the kind of leadership you need that says, we're not going to let this happen here. Now, if I were to ask people, what do you think the work of the elders is? Most of them say, well, it's to spend the money. Well, that's true. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 30, you have a situation where there was a famine that was going to take place. And it says in verse 29, then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. The elders were responsible once having received that money to use it as God would want it used. And so as they take the money in their wisdom, they allocate it where they believe in their best judgment, it should be allocated, given basically upon the various directions that we have from God's word. Now I'm going to have to move quicker with deacons. The name deacon means servant. In fact, it's found 30 times in the New Testament, the original word for it. It's translated minister 17 times, servant 10 times, and deacon or deacons 3 times. So a lot of the times we the original words there, we're just reading servant or we're reading minister. But the job of deacons is being a servant and being a minister. And someone says, well, how many ministers do you have? Well, I guess we've got about 11 or 12 of them. So, wow, y'all must be a huge congregation. Well, that's what a minister, that's what a servant, that's what a deacon does is to serve. Now, while in Acts 6, they are not called deacons, They do serve tables. And so I don't have a problem with calling those men that were chosen in Acts chapter 6 deacons. Look with me at Acts chapter 6 beginning with verse 1. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore the brethren seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and The Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they sat before the apostles and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Here's some interesting details with regards to these men. You see the situation that you have a need that is arisen, there's widows there and The particular ones who spoke Greek as opposed to speaking Hebrew were being neglected. That's not good. That's not right. The church needs to take care of all the widows, not just ones of one class or another. And so the apostle said, we don't need to stop doing what we're doing. We need to assign or appoint some men over this business. They involve the congregation in recommending men, but they want to recommend good men. Men who can do a good job at this task. And they had recommended seven of them and they did the job. But it would be a mistake to think that they only served in physical matters. And a lot of our ideas, well, the elders serve in spiritual matters. The deacons serve in physical matters. No, there are also men who were deacons who served in spiritual things. Two of them became notable preachers. If you continue reading the rest of Acts 6, and you read all the way through Acts 7, you realize that one of them, Stephen, was a man capable of preaching. In fact, they were unable to withstand the wisdom by which he spoke. In fact, the first time it appears he had a real big crowd for a sermon, they stoned him. You go further to Acts chapter 8 and you'll find Philip and you go to Acts 8 and 21 in verse 8. And on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Philip the Evangelist. So we're looking and seeing that one of those seven men who had served initially in doing something like serving tables of those widows also was a preacher of the gospel. Considering the background of Acts 6, along with 1 Timothy 5 and verse 16, it appears that the care of widows, being one of the obligations of the church, that this would be an area where they would serve. You know, Paul said in 1 Timothy five sixteen, if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. So widows are an obligation of the church and our elders here have assigned each of their deacons widows to take care of to make sure that their needs are being met. Question number two, is it necessary for a person to place membership with a congregation? There are many people who ask this question and this is one that I think needs to be tied with the first one. The Bible does not use the term Place membership. But the concept or the teaching or the principle of belonging to a local congregation is there. I want you to listen to Colossians chapter 4, verse 9 and verse 12. He says, With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. That means Onesimus was a member of that local congregation. You go to verse 12, Epiphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you. When you say one of you, you're talking about that church to whom Paul wrote the letter. He said, he's one of you. Now, uh, we'll go to Fried Hardeman on Tuesday, Lord willing. Brother Rodney's going to go. And I'm sure if Rodney's standing nearby and someone says to me, he says, Uh, Where do you go to church? Well, I'm a member at Bobby Branch. That's saying he's one of us. He belongs here. Elders can only oversee a congregation that is among them. 1 Peter chapter 5. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Our elders don't shepherd another congregation's members. And if you have them being responsible for the souls of a local group of people, that means that you have to have local congregations that you know that those are the ones who they oversee. They've got to give an account for their souls. Hence, God would expect Christians to have somewhere to belong that someone is watching over their souls. Now, that's an important idea. Who is watching over my soul? Who is going to give an account for the direction I get? And you know, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12 says, And we urge your brethren to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. You recognize them. You recognize them as your overseers, the one who are ruling over you there is a passage which I think does have application. If You will turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I just want to look at the first three verses and then we'll tie all this together. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not as on tables of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is the heart. I want you to notice carefully what Paul is saying here. He said, You are our epistle, but he says... Do we need letters of commendation to you or from you? What is a letter of commendation? Here's a person who's a member of this congregation and they're going to become a member of this congregation. What does this congregation do? The elders send a letter to say, Receive this brother. And Paul says, Is that what we need? Let me give you an illustration of that. Acts 18, verse 27 And when he desired to cross over to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. Right there, you've got the letter. Here's a person moving from one place to another place, and we want you to receive him. On the other hand, the elders could also say, we've got a scoundrel. You don't need him. You don't want him. When John wrote, 2 John, he says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him. I'll tell you something our elders do. If somebody wants to become a member of this congregation, they're already Christians, they want to become a member of this congregation, they meet with them and ask them, say, you know, where and when did you become a Christian? Um... You know, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? They're questions that are asked to make sure that they know who is coming among them. Somebody says, well, that's being awful intrusive. Well, they're going to give an account for your soul. Don't you think they deserve to know who's under their care and for whom they're giving responsibility? It's valuable for elders to meet with potential members to learn their faithfulness, their talents, and their potential needs. So, is it necessary? I don't know if you would call the word necessary, but I think it's certainly taught in the Scriptures. The idea of being a part of a local body overseen by faithful elders, shepherds, is a blessing. I want you to listen to just a few verses from First Thessalonians, and then I want to bring it to an end. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as you do or do to you. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. One another, one another, one another. There's value of being a part of the body to being a part of the church. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, comfort one another and edify one another just as you also are doing. That's what you and I need to be a part of. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. If I forsake the assembly, I'm missing something. If I walk away and I'm not a part of that great body, then I don't get the uplifting. I love it when we come together and sing. We pray, we study together. Well, here's where we are at the end of the lesson. We stand ready to assist you in whatever needs you have. If you want to be a part of the Lord's church, you want to be a Christian, you want to enjoy all these wonderful privileges that we do, why not become a Christian tonight? Because you believe in Christ, repent of your sins, confess that faith and be baptized. If you're one of our brothers or sisters and you're struggling, we love you. More importantly, God loves you. And we want to assist you. We're going to sing the song, Only a Step. And if you need to respond, please come as together we stand and sing.